one of the things I always see are people just going too direct into the pain. So there's no story around it. They just go straight to the point and go, are you feeling fat or are you unhappy with your weight? Oh, you know, like the 27 questions in a row. Yeah. Do you feel fat? <laughs> are you feeling lethargic? Do you get a sense that life is slipping you by? Are you worried that you mightn't survive to see your kids get married? Like, man, you're like depressed and drinking a bottle of vodka <laughs> by the end of the bullet points. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that might have worked, I don't know how long ago, but it definitely doesn't work now. It is very story-based now. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Schramko. Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 789. Today, we're talking about common mistakes business owners make when it comes to their sales offer with a little bit of a focus on the copywriting element. And for that, of course, I've brought back Will Wang, who has an agency, growthlabs.com. He helps business owners put together offers, build databases, send out email campaigns, run paid traffic, etc. A genius at marketing and conversions. And Will, welcome to the call. Thank you so much, James. Great to be back here again. Now, you've seen a lot of offers, obviously, putting that high volume through your agency and also consulting with business owners to help them improve this part of the machine. I've often said it. I've said it in my book, Work Less, Make More. I talk about it a lot with my coaching students. But your offer that converts is pretty much everything. (laughs) That's probably the hardest thing when it comes to having your own successful business. And once you've got it, It can literally be the goose that lays the golden eggs. But it turns out that it's pretty damn challenging and it's hard work. And even when you can get it working sometimes, you know, over a period of time, it can fade away. So it's this sort of elusive goal that we have. If we can get there and we can get the right mix, then we can have a wonderful business. But there are lots of mistakes you can make. And I'm sure you've seen plenty of sales pages like I have. And I know that copywriting is not the core thing that you do in terms of not the only thing you do, but it's a massive part of any successful campaign, right? Do you want to just speak about how vital that component is in the type of work you're doing? Yeah, definitely. And it's such a good point, James. And uh, again, as you said, you know, it's something that you do touch on quite heavily in your book, but the offer for the business is actually everything. When people think about marketing, they think about how can I get someone to buy something from me? But honestly, the way I look at it is if you have a good offer, you can have mediocre marketing around the offer, but people will still buy from you. Whereas if you don't have a great offer, but you've got the best marketing, you're either not going to make many sales or you're going to get refunds. So offer is literally king and it's everything that should be driving your business. I guess what we're talking about today, though, is if you have a good offer or if you know that you've got an offer that converts, how do you talk about it in a way that gives you a good offer and also good marketing, like the best of both worlds? Right. So in uh, one of the previous podcast series I did with Rob Hanley, he talked about his hierarchy of things to check if something's not performing. And he talked about market and then offer and then copywriting. So we're really focusing on this copywriting part of that, those three levels. But firstly, do you agree with what Rob was talking about or do you see it differently? No, I actually agree. It's all about, for me as a marketer, all about the people first. Like, who are we trying to help? What are we trying to help them with? So that talks about the market and the offer. And off the back of that, well, we've got to explain to them how we're going to help. So then it's copy. So I think that's the same hierarchy I think about as well. Yeah, perfect. And I think the great Gary Halbert once said, you know, if he could have one advantage up his sleeve, it will be a starving crowd. 
And I think about that when I see the hot dog stand out the front of the nightclub at two in the morning <laughs> when people are pouring out drunk. You know, they're not going to complain about stale buns or the fact that the hot dog is lukewarm or there's a cockroach running across the roof of the hot dog cart or that they've run out of mustard. They're just going to buy whatever's there because they're the perfect market and they're absolutely starving for a solution. And even a reasonable solution to the right market is going to be good. But, you know, in our previous episode, we were talking about some of the different ways you can beat the industry average. That was episode 788. And what we talked about there, and this is probably really the point here, is if all things are equal with your market compared to someone else, and if your offer is roughly equivalent, of course, we try and differentiate it, et cetera, then you're sort of left with how you communicate that offer. And that's where we come in with the copy part. So I know you can reach into your bag of marketing tricks anytime and show us some magic. So let's talk about which are the essential elements of our copy that we perhaps could go and look at our own sales offer page and see if they're there. So for example, if you were going to go to my sales page, what's Will Wang's little essential elements checklist? And we'll actually do up a nice little PDF reference to this and we'll give it away at episode 789 on superfastbusiness.com and we'll put a nice little link to willsgrowthlabs.com as well credit you with this intellectual property. <laughs> and of course, if you need help with this stuff, if you want to tune your offer or build a database for a better market or get some sort of catapulting of results of where you're at, then of course, I'd recommend you have a chat to Will. So Will, unleash the magic. What are you looking for on a sales page to know if it's got the essential elements? Awesome. So maybe I'll go through step-by-step and talk through you know, what I look at first. The very first thing is probably something that a lot of people don't expect for a copywriter to say, but I'll look at copy flow or how the page looks. Because no matter how good your copy is, if it's chunked into massive blocks of text, if the writing's small, if it's not punctuated properly, there's no paragraphs, it's really hard to read and no one's going to spend the time to go and read through it or very little people are. So number one thing I look at is, is it easy on their eyes? And I'll scroll down the page. And I'll have a look at how they structured everything. And if design's good, then I start actually getting into the copy itself. Right. This is great. I'm so glad you mentioned it because I often look at a page that's just like a massive paragraph of text that stretches from the whole one side of the page to the other without any breaks. Other things like ultra long sentences, extremely complicated words, very few pictures, no subheadlines to break it up no captions under pictures. These are like the absolute essentials that all the copywriters get taught, you know, the grabber, the monkey's fist that leads into the headline and then the headline and the subheadline and the image and the caption and the, the little short, easy to read, simple, plain English sentences that flow broken up with lots of good formatting. This is really interesting to hear you talking about design because that was kind of ignored by a lot of direct response copywriters when they came online. Mm. They were just putting up a big red headline and then a bunch of pretty harsh to the eye black and white text, you know, an old school 50 page direct response sales letter with very little approach to design. But I'm seeing some of the most well-funded companies, especially tech companies, have absolutely beautiful copy flow on their sites. And they're almost joyful to read. And also, I guess you're probably looking at subtleties too, like how old is the user of this product? I know if you've got a demographic of 65-year-old plus customers, you might want to think about a larger font, for example, and black on white might be much easier to read 
than a beautiful pastel purple on pink that uh, some of these people... I've literally looked at sales pages that I can hardly read mm. the words because of the over-styling of them, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you've got to also take into account that some people can be colorblind. Right. So if you max the wrong colors in there, they just don't even see the text. But it also comes back to the point, you, know, you made a really good point, how ugly sales letters used to be. And I'm a direct marketer. So I you know, made the same mistakes. I had the same formatting, the big red headlines. And I did that in the past. But I'm very driven by data. Like my corporate background is in data itself. So I've always had a view of measuring how everything performs and performing tests. And, you know, over the past, especially three or four years, I've just found that really well-designed pages with the same copy as pages that looked like the old school style, they've all just performed better. So, you know, I resisted it for so long because it meant I had to hire a graphic designer in the company, but you just can't refute the numbers. And I found that in this day and age, having pictures and having the pictures in some cases all aligned to one side actually helps with the copy and helps people read through it because it's easy on their eyes and it makes it flow so much better. That is very interesting. And, you know, one of the old copywriting sayings is they talk about the bucket brigade. And it's like when there's a fire in the old days, they used to pass the bucket from one person to the next. And that's what's supposed to happen when you enter the sales pages. You should be able to just flow down it like a bucket brigade. And it's like a slippery dip, so to speak. And anything that jars it or interrupts it or stops it. Like, for example, if you decide that you're an artist and you want to have 27 different types of fonts, <laughs> that can slow <laughs> things down. I've seen that. <laughs> Do you have a favorite font or any rules or tips around that in particular? Yeah, I like to keep it simple. We kind of work on the brand guides that our clients have. So we try and use a font that matches across as much as possible. Now, failing that, what we do like to do is use standard fonts that you find on the ad platforms. So for example, Facebook has a very particular font they use in ads. So do you know the other ad platforms. And we try and keep it consistent and try and match the fonts as closely as possible. So the journey, again, going back to the analogy you just brought up about passing the bucket along, we just want to make it seamless and we just want to make it easy and consistent. Right. And that's a really good point about the matching it. You want that congruency. You want to continue the story from wherever it started. And on the way through without any sort of disconnection or massive change. And you mentioned something that you, know, you just touched on it so lightly, but it's almost not heard of in many online businesses. And that's brand guidelines and style guides. This is what a serious business will put together. It's a design booklet that tells you the fonts, the spacing, the actual colors of each of the palettes that's used within the brand so that everything you see looks and feels like it's integrated. And that was especially essential at Mercedes-Benz where I was. They used to measure every single advertisement we ever ran, had to go to head office for approval. They would check the spacing of the star and the words and the font type, and it had to have a certain look and feel to be in line with the brand. And that's a really good way to have a good usability experience for your customer when they could look at your page and instantly feel a quality of what you're doing, but certainly things that are easy to use. And I think Apple's probably a great case study for that. They can be irresistible, even if they're less powerful or have less features. If they're easy to use and sort of joyful to hold and to own and to use, then people sort of vibe with that. So making it easy for people to consume your message is good. And it certainly fits with my idea of what selling actually is. And that's just helping people be better off. So you can't help them be better off if you can't get the message across to them, you know, sort of conveying 
if they can't see that where you can take them is better than where they're at now, you've missed the point of being able to help them with that transition. So the idea of the copy is to use words to transport someone to this understanding that they would be so much better off for doing whatever it is that you suggest they do next. So with that being the case, any more on that topic or should we move to the next element that Will looks for? We can definitely move on to the next element. So the next thing that I look at is if I look at the headline or if I look at the copy, how easy is it to identify what you're trying to solve or what your offer helps them with? So you spoke about this just a few seconds ago, but you know, the way I always like to express an offer is not about the business who's putting the offer out there because it's not about us at all. For someone to buy what we have, we've got to really help them understand, well, what's their life going to look like? What pains or frustrations or challenges are they going through that we think we can help them solve? So the next thing I look at is immediately looking at the headline. Do I get a sense of what you can help me do or solve or achieve? Right. So that's basically, is that a big promise in the headline? It could be a big promise. I'm always testing your headline. So there's a few formulas I like to use. One is all about the pain. So are you experiencing this challenge? And then obviously, you know, that kind of hooks them in. You ask them a question, it's going to open a mental loop in their own mind, and they're always going to want to close that loop and answer the question. Another one is just by using curiosity or showing what other people have done. And the third one is a benefit statement, like, hey, could you use more clients in your business, for example? So for something like this podcast, it could be something, do you make these copywriting mistakes? Yeah, or it could be something like, are you making these mistakes in your offer and how to fix it? Perfect. So that's going to appeal to someone who already has a sales offer or is intending to make an offer and who would like to have a good offer and avoid making the mistakes. It's bringing in the target audience. And even from the headline, it's pretty clear that you're you know, resonating with their current situation. And they talk about meeting the customer where they're at, you know, in that conversation in their head. Like they know their offer's not that great because they're saying, oh, I can't afford to hire a team because they're not getting enough money and their business is smaller than they'd like. And how come everyone on Instagram's got a Lamborghini and a mansion and they don't? (laughs) So they've got that pain. Do you think there's a borderline between how much pain versus future pacing or hope or positive that you should mix within your message? Yeah, definitely. is. So with copy, it used to be that you can really hammer on the pain points and, you know, you can have a, I guess I call it a BS backstory where you make up this whole story about how you were sleeping on couches. And you shouldn't make anything up, right? Like stop you right there. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't make stuff up. It's got to be truthful and you can paint a great story out of seemingly small things. I could give you an example today. I had a an incident, had a couple of incidents today, actually. <laughs> like one, someone reversed into me. And uh, two, I bought a pistachio bar and it cost me an extra $5 because it made me one minute late out of the car park, which had a three-hour free parking. And you know, that extra minute cost me $5 just because I ordered this pistachio bar. They didn't give it to me. And then I had to go back to get it when I remembered that they didn't give it to me. And that extra minute cost me $5. So it was like the poor service that I had ended up having a consequence that sort of reinforced that thing. Now, I reckon I could pull a whole blog post out of that, Mm. maybe even a podcast episode talking about small things having huge consequences and so on and so forth. But there has got to be something truthful you can use in your story. There's no need to make stuff up. And definitely don't bother making up a car crash, a park bench or bankruptcy because that would be a waste of neurons. (laughs) And uh, there's enough of those out there already. We talked about that a lot in the previous episode. Yeah, exactly. And I think you kind of summed it up really nicely in terms of using the pain point. And we talked about this in the previous episode, so I won't go into too many details. But, you know, there's always so many experiences you can draw out from. Even if you don't have a backstory where there's 
pain or suffering, you can always call out the fact that you haven't gone through that. And here's why that actually educated you or gave you an opinion, which is different to everyone else. But in terms of the pain as well, I see too many copy, you know, I do a lot of copy audits nowadays. And one of the things I always see are people just going too direct into the pain. So there's no story around it. They just go straight to the point and go, are you feeling fat or are you unhappy with your weight? Oh, you know, like the 27 questions in a row. Yeah. Do you feel fat? (laughs) Are you feeling lethargic? Do you get a sense that life is slipping you by? Are you worried that you mightn't survive to see your kids get married? Like, man, you're like depressed and drinking a bottle of vodka by the end of the bullet points. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that might have worked, I don't know how long ago, but it definitely doesn't work now. It is very story-based now. You obviously want to inspire people to take action, but you don't want to make them depressed or keep hammering um, a sore point without a story on, you know, or some way of helping them get out of it. So that's one thing that I was seeing. They're just a full page on why their life sucks. And it's like, you don't need to go that far. So just they're overcooking it a bit. Just ease off. Exactly. Ease off on the pain. <laughs> exactly. Or the other side of it too is they're focusing on too many different pain points. Wow. So coming back to that weight loss example, they might be talking about, hey, are you unhappy because you weigh a lot, but are you also too tired? Is your weight affecting your relationship? And is that in turn affecting your finances? Like there's too many pain points in there. It pays to be focused on one thing that you're trying to solve and one pain point that you're trying to tackle. So you're talking about for the whole sales offer, it's like it should have one big idea? Exactly. So you know, it obviously depends on the person as well. And if you're marketing to a lot of people, there are a few different pain points that people might be experiencing, but focus in on, you know, write the sales letter for one person and then test which one works best. So what about in my case, you know, at superfastbusiness.com on my homepage, I try and move people into the relevant discussion for the current pain point they're having out of four potential and very well identified pain points that keep coming up in my environment for my customers. And then each of those discussions is more tailored to that particular pain point. Is that the right thing to do? It absolutely is. And your website is actually the best example of this. They go through and you just ask them, like, what is it that I can help you with? And then you've got a sales page for each of the different areas. Yeah. And When we look at it from an advertising or marketing perspective, the way that we do that is by having different ads going to different landing pages with each of those ads talking about one specific pain point and letting people choose, depending on the ads they see, what they want to hear more about. So on the Will Wang elements checklist, it'll be like, does the sales offer have one significant pain point that it's addressing, like one big idea, and it's not like a flea market? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Got it. All right. What next? So next, since we're going so far into the whole pain point thing, is the idea of false scarcity. So now we're looking at how do we close out our offer and how do we get people to take action? And one of the things I always see is, you know, people saying, hey, you've only got 10 days to take us up on this offer, or I'm only doing this for the next two people, when it's really obvious that it's not. If you do have that kind of scarcity, by all means use it. So for example, I sent an email out to my list today where I said, look, I'm opening up five consulting spots. Here's what we're going to do. Here's a guarantee. But the only reason I did that was because I can actually physically only take on five more clients. Hmm. So if I could take on more, I wouldn't use five. I'd actually say more. So it's like the Maldives when I've got X number of cabins on the cruiser. That's it. Like someone else orders, I'd have to send the money back because you're not going to sleep on the roof. 
even though actually some people do sleep on the roof sometimes, but <laughs> if they wanted to sleep in a the cabin, they, they could. You know, like there's a specific number, so the volume works. But I really don't like people using the number for things like kind of unlimited membership. Mm. I think it's a false cap. And I've seen a few times where someone said, oh, you know, for the first 100 members or the first 50 members, they're going to get this. And I said, no, don't do that. Do a date deadline, okay? Put a date deadline and explain the reason why, that at that date you're going to switch off access, you're going to work with the people who have come on board by that point and make sure you test every part of the membership and that it's all good and then you'll reopen at some point in the future. And guess what? When they wanted to cap it at 100, sometimes they've sold 250 and way exceeded their expectations on what they could get from their initial marketing round. And they would have falsely like more than halved their sales if they'd put an artificial made-up scarcity number. So be careful about using number. And the other thing I don't like about it is you can't control the other people. You have no way of knowing how many people have ordered. So like when we do use a number like the Maldives, for example, we'll usually just let people know how many tickets are available. And the other time I've used it is when I ran Superfast Business Live and the room has a physical capacity. Like they are not legally allowed to put more than 220 people in the room the way that we want to arrange it for the best function. So we actually do it. We cross off the number as it gets absorbed. Mm. And in the old days with my old card, it used to actually show how many tickets were left. So it was very transparent. Mm. So there are applications for it, but I'm wary of it and I much prefer date deadlines. But there has to be a real reason why. And, you know, while we're on this, my membership used to be always closed, but always opening. And I did it so I could regulate the members and build some sort of urgency and help people make a decision. But in the end, it didn't sit ideally with me. And mm. I'm at a no compromise point in life now where, you know, people could buy or not. But what they're really missing out on is the ability for me to help them with their business. So the opportunity cost of what they're missing out on is really what I focus on now. And I took the responsibility to beef up my communication around that sales offer and after the sales offer to help people if they're on the fence to decide if it's a good idea for them, even to the point where I'll personally answer their emails back and forth until we decide if it's a good idea or not. Or I tell them where they should go to get help if they want something specific that I'm not the best in the world at. I'll just send them off there because that's the best thing I can do for them. Mm. And often they come back later when their business is ready for me for whatever stage that is. So don't feel like you have to do a scarcity play or especially just don't do a false scarcity because I don't think it's going to cut it, at least if not now, in the next few years People see through that stuff and they really resonate with someone who's not desperate. Exactly. I mean, the way to do it too is, you know, everything we've talked about so far has been external scarcity where it's like time's up now or I've only got five spots or things like that. But we've been testing different angles with internal scarcity where the copy goes something like, I'm actually not going to tell you that time's running out because it's just not true. This is an online course. It's always going to be open. But the thing is, if you don't do it now, imagine where you could have been in a month's time if you don't take action right now. Don't look back and wonder what would have happened if I should have done that. So that's more internal scarcity and building up, you know, the feeling of, well, maybe, you know, fear of missing out, but not in a sleazy way where you're just putting a number out there and saying 100 spots for like an online course. One of the sequences in my card abandonment sequence, which, by the way, I sell that as a separate product at Superfast Results and people buy that. And I just got feedback today. I asked when they buy it, you know, how was the course? And this guy goes, it was short, simple and effective, just what I wanted. And I'm like, That's what I'm shooting for. I'll take that any day of the week. So one of the things I send is a little case study of someone who just joined and sent me an unsolicited testimonial about how much value was there. 
And that is designed to help people realize there is a gap between where they're at now and what they could be having if they took an action. So I think making the gap aware is good. What you're talking about before, where you push the pain too much, people are getting carried away with the problem agitate solution formula. Mm. You know, they've identified the problem, but they're just, they're sticking it too hard in the agitation section. <laughs> be, yeah. be kind on your, your prospect. Yeah, exactly. The way I look at it with the copy I write is we're going to take them on a journey. We're not going to beat them down and you're going to force them along the journey with us. We only want the people who have the pain, yes, but they're also ready and you know instinctively they want to come along this journey with us. So that's what we're looking for rather than beating people down and you know having them turn around in a month's time and go, actually, I really regret my decision. You mentioned before when you do copy audits, where does that sit in terms of your product offerings and cycle? Like how is someone getting access to those? Yeah, so the copy audits are part of the consulting product that we have. So we've got a section, you know, where my clients might have their own marketing team or they just want someone externally to come through and help them fix one element of the business. And normally, you know, that might be a three-month engagement looking at their copy, including ads and sales letters and all the way through. So typically with everything we do, I'm a big believer in looking at where they are now and um, not taking any actions to move them in any direction until we know where we have to go. So audits kind of form the first part of every single engagement we have. I made a recommendation to you for a client of mine who has a substantial business and had tried many different things and you went in and improved his offer and copy in particular I think in this case you don't have to mention who it is or whatever and probably shouldn't but (laughs) could you talk about what type of transformation happened and what were the key elements involved in that? Yeah, so we rewrote the entire funnel and redesigned the entire funnel. And the end result was that we tripled sales with the exact same amount of traffic. So obviously, you know, very good result, very happy to hang my head, hang my hat on the result. <laughs> but it was looking at everything that we've discussed. So we looked at how the copy flowed and it kind of didn't. Mm. There were really big chunks and gaps and, you know, really huge chunks of text. The voice and the languaging was actually different across different sections. So obviously different copywriters had done that. Exactly, like a whole bunch of people had a go at it and it turns into some Frankenstein. Yep. And um, the pain points that we spoke about, you know, the 57 pain points or 27 pain points, <laughs> they had an element of that as well. Uh, literally every single part of your life, does this suck? Does this suck? Like, okay, I think they've had enough. Like, just let them off. So that we changed and made it a little bit more subtle and also a little bit more specific about, you know, one key result. So that was just on the landing page. Then we came through onto the sales page or the page where they booked in an appointment or bought the product. And again, it came back to not using false scarcity, but being very subtle and being very gentle about this, calling the fact out that they were on the page for a reason. Obviously, they hadn't got the results they wanted from everyone else. And so that kind of led us to talking about how they were different and why this product was right for them. And then painting the picture of imagine if your life went this way, what things would look like and painting, you know, the after story. So the before and after, before was pain. And then after, here's what your life's going to look like. And just by doing that, by being a bit more subtle about the pain, designing it in a better way and just writing copy with a consistent voice, again, matching it to the brand guide, because most brand guides actually tell you what type of tone or um, how to approach the copy of it. So just by matching everything together and having it consistent and more congruent, it really just took off and, you know, three times the results or sales from that funnel versus what they had before. Yeah. I know in this case, we're talking about multiple millions of dollars that this means for that customer. So huge thank you (laughs) because it made me look good for the referral. But 
you know, I actually want my customer to get the best results. So I'm always trying to find the right supplier for the challenge they're having. And that, that was like a serious scenario. But you've also worked on much smaller accounts, like funded startups and stuff. So I, I don't want to paint a picture that you're only dealing with the big end of town. I think you're one of the most versatile improvers that I deal with across the board because you can span cold to hot, small to big different market sectors. I think that's because you're just quite dynamic and also very curious and interested. And you've assembled yourself a nice little team of people in your business who follow the same sort of philosophy. There's a certain energy level. You're like the marketing equivalent of Red Bull, you know, (laughs) send one over over to Will, it'll put a bit of spark in whatever's there. So thank you for that. And it sounds to me like this checklist could work pretty well for your ads, your homepage, your sales offer page, your shopping cart page, abandonment follow-up emails, things that target people in, in ads after they've... Is it like if you would have checklist those things on each of those things, you're starting to get a really coherent picture and message, sort of like an easy flow through. It's very simple. They can think about one thing. They can work their way through it. There's not any sort of off-putting, outrageous pushing of the pain or silly backstories that we've seen so many times, a little bit of vomit forms in the back corner of our mouth, that we are doing something different to everyone else. Yeah, the, the checklist, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. I'm obsessed with, you know, how people think. Some of the psychology behind it is really interesting to me. And, you know, one of the things that I look at, well, I'm studying at the moment, which I haven't really told anyone, so this is kind of interesting. I'm looking at how mentalists, so there's a whole TV show about mentalism, about how they kind of use inception and put the ideas into people's minds and things like that. You know, the checklists I always produce are more about the psychology rather than you have to have this font or you have to have X many pages in or how many words. I feel like those things always change so much, especially as advertising platforms or technology changes. But if you understood the psychology of humans, you know, you'll always be able to find a way to make things work. You know, I couldn't agree with you more strongly in that regard. I'm coaching a child therapist at the moment who says a lot of what I teach is what she's learned through university and teaches parents. But as a parent, as a former pet owner, as a coach, someone who's been very interested in, especially in mentalism and the Darren Brown videos on YouTube were fantastic. (laughs) Uh, Also, I used to speak to a community of people who came through the seminars doing NLP. I was never an NLP nutter. And I say that with affection. You know, a lot of them are very, they're lovely people, but <laughs> very passionate. some of them feel like they have this magical toolkit that can transform their life. And I talked about this on an episode with um, my friend Pete Shaw in a previous episode, which we'll link to in the show notes. But there's so much to it, especially when the foundations of that with um, Milton Erickson, Ericksonian hypnosis, really, really interesting stuff. I've been reading a lot of stuff lately on how to think better and how humans fall for such simple fallacies and how we make terrible decisions and we have a lot of biases, cognitive biases that we're not fully aware of. It's especially pertinent for me right now because as a little hobby, I trade shares and I think a huge part of what we do is psychology and understanding how to help people help themselves is a very valuable skill right now in this market where people are especially needy. In 2020, people have bigger needs than I think ever before in society, and we can help those people move past challenges. And what you're doing is helping your customers' customers move through their challenges. So I don't know if there's anything else to add to this. Uh, I think your checklist is going to come up great on episode 789 at superfastbusiness.com. What else do you want to add, Will, to sign off on this episode? 
I think that's it. Maybe one last very quick point, but have one consistent call to action. So don't try and get people to read your blog, listen to your podcast, do all this and that. What's the one thing you want people to do after they see your offer? I mean, just stick to it. I think that's it. I think we covered a lot of it quite comprehensively. Is it possible that just a simple checklist like this could have a dramatic change in your sales offer conversions? Let's hope so. And in fact, if it does, let us know if you think Will is your guy to help you out and get in touch with him. He's easy to connect to growthlabswithaz.com. I'm James Shramko. This is superfastbusiness.com. This has been episode 789. I'm going to get Will back for more. So tell me what you'd like to hear from Will. Send me an email, james at superfastbusiness.com. I read every single email, respond personally. I'm very interested in creating the sort of content you want. And I'm especially interested in creating the type of content you won't find everywhere else. That's why we bring in the experts here. Thank you. Thanks, James. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.